Hey everyone, it's Ari Yu. I'm the co-host of Windshield Time with Day, and I'm also the chair of the Cascadia Blockchain Council. I've been hosting these weekly AMAs, which are Ask Me Anythings, and uh, it's been really great. Sometimes we get a handful of people, sometimes we have a full room. And recently, people have been asking me to record them, which is kind of weird for me. And it really shouldn't be weird because I do record pretty often, but um, now, yeah, so I thought I would record this one. We went over some Bitcoin fundamentals. I threw together some key points on why I think Bitcoin is very useful and why humanity really needs it. And um, yeah, so I hope this is very helpful to you. And if you have any feedback, feel free to leave any comments. If you like it, you know, like and subscribe and share. And um, I hope to see you at one of these uh, Friday sessions. Again, they're Friday from 12 to 1. You can join us on Meetup or Eventbrite or our Facebook group. There are a lot of different ways to find me. Or you can always find me on Twitter at Arian Seattle. And I'm happy to share a link with you. Um, hope this is helpful. And I definitely believe in Bitcoin in terms of fundamentally what it does for humanity and what humanity really needs. Anyway, enjoy. Yeah, so I, I came out of the world of basically coins. Um, did an ICO, which is an initial coin offering. Uh, we raised about $32 million in about one month in 2017. And it was $32 million of cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin, Metal, Ethereum, and Quantum. And then um, today, I also served as the chair of the Cascadia Blockchain Council. So after the whole ICO experience, thought we needed to do a lot of work on the education awareness side and also working with policymakers to uh, bring stuff together um, in working with innovators. And then I also am the lead instructor of a blockchain developer bootcamp today. So I also teach blockchain full-time, which is why when I say I talk about Bitcoin and blockchain for 12 to 14 hours a day, I literally am. And then there's other human stuff that I do. You know, I'm a mom, I love food, I love music, and I love nerdy stuff. Okay. You're Perfect. not here to learn about me only. <laughs> You're here about Bitcoin. So let me uh, share screen quickly. All right. So Bitcoin has been really exciting, especially this past day, this past month, this past year. Uh, Bitcoin last I checked was about $40,000 today. Uh, it's up over 37% as it, in January. And that was as of yesterday when I last checked. It's up over 48% in December, over 170% in the last quarter of 2020, and up over 300% in the year of 2020. So pretty good stats on Bitcoin. And that's probably why a lot of people are excited about it, which is really great. And um, we're not the only ones excited. The whole market is excited. And this is just a quick, you know, I wrote it, jotted down as many things that have happened very recently. But you have PayPal, you have Stan Druckenmeyer Miller, who's, you know, a very famous um, money investor guy that is very well expect, uh, respected. He's talking about, um, you know, Bitcoin as an investment. Coinbase, if you're already into crypto and Bitcoin, it's one of the on-ramps or ways people get into crypto these days. And so they're about the IPO. You have MicroStrategy, which is a publicly traded company. 
they took uh, a good percentage of their treasury um, and put it into Bitcoin, over $425 million originally. And then a couple months after that, he did another $650 million into Bitcoin, over a billion dollars of Bitcoin purchased over a few months. You have institutions like Mass Mutual buying Bitcoin. You have NFL players like Russell Okung, and I spelled his name wrong, I'm sorry, Russell. Um, saying he wants half his pay in Bitcoin. You have Spotify putting, you know, investing into this world. You have Standard Charter banks launching crypto banking and trading. You have JP Morgan talking about it. You have Visa doing USDC, which is a stable coin um, and also an on-ramp into this cryptocurrency world. And so this is happening. But what I'm going to talk about is not all this fun stuff, but the stuff that is the why. Um, why is this happening right now? Why is Bitcoin the this um, seemingly, you know, really like underground weird thing that these cypherpunks talked about <laughs> over the last 10 years? Why is this thing um, still alive, one? And what problem does it solve? And um, this quote, um, confusion has the, become a state of mind, more or less. We're trained to become confused, be confused. People in power are keeping us down, keeping us docile, keeping us consuming with this confusion. It is cultural confusion and it is deliberate. This is speaking to my own personal experience, especially over the past year. So like I said before, I've been talking about blockchain and Bitcoin for years, but it's only in the past year where I was really lucky. I had a baby about 18 months ago. And uh, you know, post baby, I had lots of support, and I had lots of time to read books. Like I've read, you know, 800 page books on the Federal Reserve. I was uh, writing articles. I was, you know, putting together this curriculum for this developer bootcamp that I'm teaching right now. And the more I learned, the more I realized that, like, this quote is literally how I've been taught and educated, and all the things that I have been assuming to date. And I'm normally considered a pretty educated, pretty, you know, not too dumb person. And so to know that I have been really misinformed and really miseducated on so many things on so, on so many fundamental levels is why I really believe in Bitcoin. I really believe Bitcoin is the answer that the world really needs. And so I'll walk you through my, the thought process and it's not my own unique thought process. This is the thought process that I've been the benefactor of receiving from just having read and worked with and um, just many of the pioneers that have done this thinking before me. So a lot of, most of this is not original thought. Just want to put that caveat out there. So the problem Bitcoin solves is monetary and fiscal irresponsibility. And what does that mean? And so I just put four examples of what that means. So in 1971, and it's a big year, the United States went off the gold standard and officially became fiat money. And you'll hear Bitcoiners talk about 1971, the gold standard, sound money, hard money, soft money, fiat money a lot. And this is, this is like the thing that really hone in on and hammer on um, during this 20-minute-ish presentation because I want to leave enough time for your questions. Two, the United States has literally printed over 37% of the entire history of the US dollar money supply in the past one year. And, you know, the, it's, I mean, just 
wrapping your head around that is just, right? 37% of the entire U.S. supply of U.S. dollars was printed in the past year, and there's more coming, right? There's a big stimulus package that's about to be, you know, passed. In it, we'll send money to a lot of Americans that really, really need help but it's going to have a huge impact on what's happening, not just to us in the United States, but globally. Because remember, the U.S. dollar is the world's global reserve currency. So everything that happens to the U.S. dollar affects us all, like affects us all in so many ways that I, I never really connected the dots on. Three, central bankers think they can control and manipulate the economy for better. Right? There's interest rates, um, and most of them are zero. And we've been hearing about interest rates going to negative. We're like, what does that really mean? Well, I mean, you just look at your own bank account and into your savings bank account. Right? Remember, I told you, like in the early 90s, I remember 6%, you know, in middle school, taking my, uh, my you know, $10 or $100 of birthday money and putting it in my savings account, and I got 6%. That does not happen today, right? And we're all working hard. We're still putting our money in bank accounts, which side note, don't. Bank accounts, that's financial purgatory. Stop doing that. Um, yeah. Number four, inflation is typically measured through CPI, consumer price index. And this is where a lot of that misinformation and that confusion that I mentioned before has really been created. We're taught this in our school system. I went to a really prestigious university. I learned this in, you know, this prestigious university. And this was the only way that was taught that this form of economics was the only way that money happens. And, you know, you go become an investment banker at JP Morgan, which I almost did. I didn't. Um, you're also taught it there. Um, but the way it's actually measured, because when you actually think about it, you're like, how is CPI measured? And you start digging in there and you're like, well, that doesn't, that doesn't really represent me. Cause like, me as a consumer, right? I got a house, I got to get a car. I have two, two children that I got to prepare for school, you know? Um, like, where do you shop? Where do you buy your food? Do you like to buy organic or not organic? These are all things that really affect how we buy stuff. And the CPI does not represent that. I'll continue on. All right, so hearing in on this point again, like 99% of people do not know how the US dollar works. 99% of people don't and won't know how Bitcoin works. But ultimately what I'm going to talk about over the next 20-ish minutes is why Bitcoin is better than the US dollar and why everyone is going crazy in the marketplace in terms of Bitcoin and why it's gonna to continue to be this way. So uh, some definitions, fiat money. Fiat money is government issued, it's paper. Remember in 1971, we went off the gold standard um, and the governments control how much money is printed, um, what the interest rates is, all that sort of stuff. Um, yeah, and I just included a pretty picture to give you a sense of what's really been happening with the Federal Reserve and what happens in the world of fiat money. Inflation, like I mentioned before, citizens are told that an inflation rate of two to 3% is normal. Policymakers are also taught and believe that an acceptable inflation rate is 
And then for those that are thinking about investing or have been thinking about investing, and I didn't even real, realize this until recently too, because I'm not an investor, not in the typical sense, right? Um, we're taught just, you know, beat inflation and you'll, you'll be fine. But remember, inflation rate is two to 3% and that's what we're told. CPI, custom, Consumer Price Index, measures the percent change in the price of a basket of goods and services consumed by households. Just in that definition, you should also point, picture and you know, note, not all, all households are the same. You have billionaires and their the goods and services that they consume are not like the goods and services that I consume as a consumer. And they're not the same goods and services that you know, Joe Schmo, the bartender down the street consumes. So this fact that there's this one universal CPI that, that informs us of what's really going on with the money supply is, is problematic. So now we'll go into a quick history lesson. In 1971, the US went off the gold standard. And uh, there's a really great site um, that talks about what happened in 1971. And I'll share that with as many of you afterwards. That's really, really interesting. But literally, um, when we went off this hard-backed gold standard, lots of things changed in the United States. And if you look at the history, you know, it impacts, you know, women and equity. It affects um, education standards. It affects our cities. It affects our society. It affects education. It affects um, just housing prices. It affects every aspect of our lives. And it's been affecting every aspect of our lives over the last 20 plus 30, 50 years. And also, here's another side note. In 1971, when Nixon, President Nixon, officially decided that we went off the gold standard, he told the American people that this was gonna be temporary. And this temporary experiment has not stopped. It's, it's still going on. We're still on this temporary experiment of going off the, off the gold standard. And here we are today. The problem with that is because money only has value because the country that prints it says it does. And fiat money is government controlled, it's government made, and the government can print as much of it as it wants. And we know in history, because we've seen it, you know, you look at Germany, you look at, I mean, even today, you look at Turkey, you look at Venezuela, which is, you know, the often pointed to example, doesn't end well. And then I learned about this term called quantitative easing. I was like, what's QE? What's quantitative easing? And you uh, watch CNBC, watch CNN. They say QE a lot and they say quantitative easing a lot. It literally is central banks printing money. It's printing money to cover debts. And here's a nice chart that shows you like what's been really going on with all the printing that's been happening. And it hasn't ended well for many countries. And quantitative easing is not a good thing, <laughs> as you can see. And like I mentioned before, over 37% of the entire US dollar supply has been printed in the past one year. This is a picture of that. Here's a picture of, you know, 1971, we went off the gold standard and we went in, into fiat world. And this affects how we invest as a nation, it affects how we invest locally in our state and local governments. It affects how we do work or seek jobs or like what we define as productivity. 
And the problem with fiat money is those that are closest to where the money is printed and dispersed to uh, human beings benefit the most. So today, I mean, if you look at just what's happening to um, the marketplace, um, you look at stock prices, right? We're all looking at the stock prices and you're looking at Tesla is at what, $750 a share. Um, is that right or is that not right? No, like it's crazy, right? It's because the stock market, those, those stocks are closest to those that are printing the money, the banks, um, those that are getting the loans. Um, but everybody else, you know, Joe Schmo down the street, who's a bartender, he's not, he's not in stocks. That's only, stocks are only for the top 49% of Americans. The other 51% don't have IRAs, 401ks, any of that sort. And that's the real reality of the world we live in today. And I think it's a big problem. And fiat money studies steals wealth from the bottom. You know, we're taught taxes, 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 but fiat money, when the governments can just print money to erase debt, um, doesn't happen, it happens magically and it officially takes money from the bottom because your hard earned dollar as the uh, bartender that just got the dollar tip is now worth less. And it's not two to 3% less than last year, it's significantly worse. So we'll go into like uh, looking at Bitcoin and why Bitcoin is better money, but in it, I'll also talk about why the paper money that we have today that's called the US dollar is not as great as Bitcoin. So when you look at scarcity and total supply, for those that might have had some light introduction to economics, you know, supply and demand, more supply um, usually means uh, lower prices, right? So that same fundamental is in the world of Bitcoin. It's a hard cap supply. So there are only going to be ever created 21 million Bitcoins. And this is a very, 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 very important fact. And if you look at 21 million Bitcoins, and yes, you know, people will say like, oh, you, you know, people have lost them and some Bitcoins are lost forever. Yeah, but that makes, you know, the scarcity even more dire. It's a very, very scarce asset. And if you look at how many people are in this country, how many people are in the state? How many people will actually be able to own one Bitcoin? Not that many. So like something to think about. You look at the, you look at the US dollar on comparison, fiat money. Is there a hard cap supply? No. Remember 37% was printed literally in the past year and they're going to print another trillion something dollars right now. What does that do to all of us? Scarcity is a good thing when it comes to our money supply and where we store our wealth and where we earn our dollars. Without scarcity, prices go down, right? If everyone was able to just walk in and buy a house, um, I mean, maybe that would be good for society, but for those that are you know, looking at real estate as investment, you know, the scarcity and the fact that you know, not anyone can just access them is somewhat a good thing. Then you look at scarcity and rate of change. So why is gold great? Because we know gold increases at the rate of 1.5%. It's really hard to get gold. You gotta, you know, have these machines, you gotta find them in those like hills and mountains, you gotta like dig, it's really physically labor intensive. Um, it's scarce, it's really hard to get. Same thing with Bitcoin. Um, and Bitcoin uses the same terminology with miners. Um, they have to do a lot of math exercises to get um, a Bitcoin or any Bitcoin rewards. And all of the, the supply that's created is 
hard coded into software. And, you know, people will say like, well, someone could just like rewrite the code or hack the code and change that. No, not really, because they would have to check the code of thousands and thousands and thousands of machines to be able to hack that code. And the likelihood of someone being able to do that, pretty near zero. So Bitcoin's uh, top supply, remember, is 21 million Bitcoin. Um, there's a supply chart of how it's being create, created and everyone knows exactly what that rate is. And at the end, there's no more Bitcoin created forever. Right. So again, like that supply demand, there's a limited amount of supply, but the demand will continue to increase as we've seen in the marketplace today, because price of Bitcoin now is $40,000. $40, Durability. Um, paper money, U.S. dollars, is not durable. Um, I can burn it. I can rip it. I, you know, it fades over time. Gold is durable, right? Gold is gold is gold. It, it, it doesn't disappear or melt away. Bitcoin is also durable. Yes, you know, it's computer and software. So, you know, if we all lose the internet connection, then, you know, that's the hard part. But in general, Bitcoin is durable. Gold is durable. Um, what else was I going to say? Oh, US dollar. If you look at the supply of US dollars too, um, another side note, we're already in digital world. So most of the world is already operating in terms of transactions and finances and tracking of dollars, it's all digital anyway today. So we're already at digital, but Bitcoin is super digital. It was natively created for a digital environment. Fungible and divisibility. So um, I wanna buy a coffee and I have a gold bar. Ideally, you know, I slice a little piece off that's worth, you know, the cup of coffee and I give you that little bit of gold, right? Um, same thing with US dollars, you have 100 cents in every one US dollar. So I wanna buy a cup of coffee for a dollar, not possible anymore. You see, inflation's. <laughs> so Bitcoin can be divided into Satoshis. And so there are 100 cents in every one US dollar. There are 100 million Satoshis in every one Bitcoin. So in terms of scalability and divisibility, Bitcoin kind of wins. You know, you can divide a cent into 100, you divide a, a Bitcoin into 100 million. And uh, when I originally got into this, I was like, how do you, I can't do the math. What's Satoshi, 100 million? Who can even think in 100 millions, right? So thought I'd teach you Satoshis quickly. So today the price of Bitcoin is about 40,000 for the simplicity of math, right? To figure out the number of Satoshis in $1, you take $1 and you divide it by 0. 0.000, four zero 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 and you get 2500 satoshis or sats for short so one dollar today will buy you 2500 sats and if bitcoin continues to scale side note you know this 2500 sats might equal say like 250 dollars eventually or 2500 dollars eventually right sats becomes the new denomination bitcoin want you to also note that there are eight decimal places out. So remember 100 million Satoshis equals one Bitcoin. So to get that number, you go out eight decimal places and not everyone is great at math or like decimal places. So literally you kind of one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. There are eight decimal places. And at the end you put in the price of Bitcoin. So I highlight it. Bitcoin price is $40,000 right now. Hence, you know, 0 0.0040000. And that's how you do the math. It takes a little bit of practice, but it, 
I think the more we get used to using Satoshis and understanding it, the more comfortable we will be with Bitcoin. All right, back to Bitcoin fundamentals, censorability. For those in the United States, you know, this doesn't seem to like click as well, but if you're in different countries like Turkey and Venezuela and countries where the money supply is really, really having difficulty, it's really difficult to get US dollars um, in other countries. You have to buy US dollars in black markets and gray markets. In terms of censorability, gold is really physically heavy. So if I had all of my wealth stored in gold, then I would just need to carry these giant gold bars and like put them somewhere, right? And if the government decided that they really needed money really quickly, they could come into my room my room basically and be like give me all your gold bars and here's a piece of paper and i owe you gold bars i mean you may or may not get it back and this actually has happened in the history of the united states right um paper money is government owned so the government doesn't have to come into my home and say like give me all your money we need to pay debts you know national emergency um, now they just print more money they don't need to ask us for our permission they just print more money and they're essentially taking money out of my room uh, Bitcoin, they can't really do that. I mean, obviously, like if you're using like a centralized exchange to process your Bitcoin transactions and you're storing your Bitcoin in centralized places, then you're kind of in trouble to the jurisdiction that your Bitcoin is being housed in. So like if you're housing your money at Bitcoin money at Coinbase, right? Coinbase is a U.S. entity. They're in San Francisco, California, and the government, U.S. government says, hey, I want to know everything about all your customers at Coinbase, which they have. Coinbase says, here, here are all the people in the United States that have Coinbase accounts and we pay by see them. And now, you know, that'll make your tax, you know, tracking and hunting easier, right? Well, what if, you know, the U.S. government says, ooh, you know, this quantitative easing thing's not working out anymore. Mm, hey, Coinbase, we need all the Bitcoin. Actually, while you're at, give me all the Ether too. Um, these are, this is a real possibility, but if you really embrace all of the features that owning and being part of Bitcoin does, then actually if you um, host, hold your Bitcoin in a decentralized place and you really take advantage of the public-private key features, no one can take your Bitcoin away. No one can come to my house and be like, give me all your Bitcoin. Yeah, well, I mean, someone put a gun to your head and said like, hey, you know, Give me, give me your private keys and you're like, I don't know, it's a whole nother story. So Bitcoin fundamentals, portability. Obviously gold is really big and heavy. And I said, if I put all of my wealth into gold bars, I could put it all into my room, but like, you know, say, you know, I need to move. And then I'm gonna have to get some wheelbarrows and a couple suitcases and wheel out my gold. Probably not that easy, right? Uh, paper money is pretty easy to carry, but you know, if I want to buy a house with paper money, today we have digital transactions and paper checks, which help with that transaction. But if I really wanted to do it with paper money, you know, you're looking at suitcases and suitcases of money, right? It's not, it's not actually that portable. Thank God, because it's digital today, it's pretty easy to port around. Well, Bitcoin was fundamentally natively created and designed for a digital environment. So it's super easy to carry, as we know, because we're all enjoying this whole digital experience today. Bitcoin is verifiable. So gold is physical. So, you know, you can come into my house and be like, yep, yeah, she's got the gold. <laughs> Verified, right? 
paper money is physical too. Or, you know, I mean, in terms of the US government, you know, you can go and look at people's bank transactions, which is why they really want all of this stuff tracked track through the banks. And then Bitcoin is ultimately the most verifiable because, you know, I send my friend Angie, you know, $100. Everyone in the world can see like, yep, this wallet sent $100 worth of Bitcoin to Angie at this time, at this place. And it's been confirmed. And by confirmations, I put an orange little box around it. 92 confirmations for this particular transaction. That means 92 different machines have said, yep, 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 yep. This transaction is real and it's done and will never, ever, 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 ever be able to be reversed or changed. It is forever hard-coded into the history of Bitcoin forever to the end of time. And you cannot do that with paper money today. You can't even do that with the US dollar because hackers can go into lots of places and steal email addresses, let alone your social security number, right? Hackers can also go into this particular computer and you know take over my Zoom meeting. Hackers can go in and mess with your bank accounts. Uh, they cannot do that with Bitcoin. So here's the summary of money. And when you look at the, the features and characteristics of what is good money, sound money, hard money, sound money equals hard money equals Bitcoin. And these are the, uh, the characteristics that we have learned over time through human history of what is good money. Um, and if you look at the history of money, you know, we started with shells and pieces of thread and bracelets and rocks. And it, it's a really, really rich history, human history. And then we got into like silver and gold and, and then we ended up with paper. But ultimately we're looking for money that's verifiable, um, divisible, portable, durable. You know, like, you know, trading bananas is great and delicious, but someone's gonna eat it and then I've lost my wealth, right? <laughs> Scarcity. I mean, Bitcoin is new, it's 10 to 12 years old, but technology moves fast. I mean, if you look at the history today, like 10 years ago, I was driving <laughs> using MapQuest printouts in my car. I would have never, ever, ever imagined that I would have turn-by-turn -turn directions on my phone today, right? You know, 10 years ago, there, there wasn't Airbnb. There wasn't, there wasn't a whole host of things that we enjoy today. So software is really, really fast. And so 10 years of Bitcoin history is actually really long in the world of history, history of technology, you know? Censorship resistant, and then um, just unforgeable costliness. It's open, it's decentralized. And then if you look at the history of fiat money, it always ends badly. And the US dollar will not be in any way an exception to this at all. Today, we're looking at the Turkish Lira. I mean, we just had a nanny um, that we work with from Turkey and she was, she's horrified and she's been, you know, seriously traumatized by what she experienced in Turkey before she came to the United States. It's, it's bad. You know, Venezuela, people talk about Venezuela all the time. That, that's a very bad situation, right? This, this is what inflation is going on. And the US, again, the United States is no exception to that. We're in hyperinflation today. You know, on the low end, and there is no number out there right now, on the low end, you know, you might conservatively say like the inflation rate for the past few years in the United States has been more like 10%. That's bad. You know, at two, 3%, uh, the prices of everything 
is doubling every 20 years. But now you're at like on the low end, the inflation rate of the true inflation rate of the United States has been 10%. That means the price of everything has been doubling every three, four years. And like this hasn't been spread equally, right? I talk about my example where I went to McDonald's and bought like two meals and a happy meal and cost me $32. What? Right? Zimbabwe. We have, you know, billion dollar bills from Zimbabwe that we bought off eBay. But can you imagine like if eventually that the US had to print like billion dollar US dollar bills because we're in hyperinflation or stagflation? We're we're in hyperinflation right now in the US. At the end of the day, the problem with fiat money, this experiment that started in 1971 is human nature. You know, I'd like to believe that everybody in government, those that are supposed to be civil servants, are working for the people, putting others before themselves. Um, they're not human because they're not greedy and not selfish and, you know, don't have all the, uh, the human frailties that affect most of us. At the end, whoever's in control of the money, and because it's really easy to just hit print, and in the United States, it's not printing paper money, it's literally like a line of code that like magically creates this money into all these um, digital ledgers across many central banks. It's so easy, there's no cost to print more money, and as a result, we're gonna continue to print more money. And that's the end of my spiel. I will open it up for questions now. I have a question. Yes. Yeah. So Bitcoin supplies capped and um, I've been doing some research and it's capped at about like 21 million. Right. So, um, and I also exactly. found out, yeah, exactly 21 million. And I also found out that it will be mined around like 2140 is the trajectory um, right now. Um, and so there's clearly a cap supply and there's already a demand from billionaires, from institutions, and you know, they're just snatching up so much right now and the price is going up. So then, you know, if they, all these rich people get all the digital gold and all this, you know, very, very profitable and um, expensive commodity to all to themselves, and then what's left for, you know, ordinary people like us, right? Is that really going to help us close the gap between the wealthy and the poor or, you know, really drive equality? Or is it going to have a like similar effect like fiat money where the system is designed to just make rich people more rich and um, just leave us with nothing? You know, like how is that, how is Bitcoin then better than the current system that we currently have? Does, does that make sense what I'm trying to get at? Mm -hmm. There's yeah. many ways to answer that question. So one way to answer that question is typically when a new asset class is introduced, it's only accredited investors and those very wealthy that get first access to that new asset. Bitcoin's different because it started from the bottom. The, the institutional investors are just starting to get it, but the people have had access to it for 10 plus years. And so it started with the people and now is moving up the food chain. That's one way to look at it. Two, I mean, if you're looking at those billionaires and institutional investors, when they come in and some of the, a couple of them have, not all of them yet, they, they need to diversify their portfolios um, and they're gonna eventually need to sell or not sell, right? Um, some whales will need to liquidate um, just so that they can get some more, I don't know, ether that's you know growing at a faster rate or whatever it is. Those are opportunities where more of this um, 
Bitcoin will come into the marketplace for people to acquire. It probably won't be at the price of $40,000 per Bitcoin, maybe more or less, but you'll have opportunities. Another way to look at that is um, I just told, gave some examples of countries that are not doing so well because of their fiat money situation. So there are about 187 countries and nations in the world. Well, eventually, like this is one, you know, one of the hypotheses that are out there and hypotheses that I really believe in. Like imagine if, you know, the bottom 50 countries of the 187, you know, in terms of GDP and, you know, developing nations, let's take Turkey. They go, screw this, this is not going well for me. We're gonna, our new national currency is no longer the lira, it is Bitcoin. Bam, right? Um, and you have more countries doing that. So as Bitcoin goes up, um, whole nations will rise and it really becomes the great equalizer globally because this is the one and only asset that truly is global today. All you need is your third hand phone and interconnection and you have the, the railways and this access to this financial product that anybody in the world can access. Um, it, it truly is the global first um, technology and money. So I don't know if that answers your question, but hopefully gives you some perspective that I wouldn't worry too much about that. Thank you. I kind of want to piggyback off of that question, not to beat the dead horse, Ari. Go ahead. Well, hi, Ari. Been here. Hi. I know. <laughs> so first, I am kicking myself in the butt because in 2012, I was at South by Southwest, and they literally had a Bitcoin like vending machine, and you could stick cash in, and you could buy Bitcoin. I literally like was like, I at least gotta go see this machine. I'll put in 50 bucks. And I think I just was like hungover and I didn't wake up in time and missed out on Bitcoin in 2012. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. <laughs> and then when I saw it crash, I was like, whoo, okay, it never like came to fruition, but look at it is, look at it now. Mm -hmm. um, so to piggyback off the last question, you know, you need a phone and you need internet access. So when you look at poor communities who don't have phones and internet access, that is, I mean, that, that's the bigger question if, we're, if we stop thinking about ourselves and the rest of the world, how does this work? If the rich people hoard Bitcoin, then, then the average citizen can still trade and like get Bitcoin, like we can still go on the stock market because we have internet with, you know, maybe, you know, the, the little income that we have. But what about like the homeless and the uh, people in other countries who just don't have access to internet can't afford a cell phone like I don't know who's responsible for that plan make it that mainstream but how how are people been addressing that question how is Bitcoin going to help poverty around the world um, I used to work in a company that dealt with micropayments so like eight tenths of a penny um, in terms of micropayments and I have like real examples of customers that we had, you know, we had hundreds of thousands of customers around the world earning eight tenths of a penny. Eight tenths of a penny in the US is like, is that even a thing, right? And in some countries in the world, it is a thing, eight tenths of a penny. And they were earning it in the form of Satoshis. Remember, that's the smallest denomination of Bitcoin. And back then, Bitcoin was $300 of Bitcoin or $400 of Bitcoin. Right. And, you know, they were doing these micro tasks, you know, like they were, you know, identifying all the oranges in a photo or, you know, telling me which photo had blue in it. Right. Doing simple tasks and they were earning like one, two cents a task. 
and uh, Bitcoin in 2015-16, it went up to like, you know, three, four thousand up and up, right? And we had customers reaching out to us that had earned cents, like three, four cents, you know, now it's like 10 cents or 20 cents. They're saying like, oh my God, this has changed my life. I can actually like buy lunch and buy food. That's what's happening right now. And yes, it, not everybody will have access to this, um, but that's changing. Like we are putting down those internet railways across the world. From the customers that I work with in the micropayments business, they had access to internet and a third hand phone more easily than they had to like a computer or a house or let alone a table in their home, right? So it's actually far more accessible than um, we realized. And it'll get more and more accessible as more of us come online and realize what's going on. So I don't know if that really answers your question, but it's not, you know, like for those of us that are aware, we have to do what we can to have impact. So we're not, you know, the king on top of a inhale where everyone is suffering around us. You just, you know, we have to do what we can. So that's a, yeah, that's, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's the best I can do right now. Yeah. I think the main question was, is the industry just thinking about these things? They are. I mean, like, you know, people are planting out 5G. So like 5G is, you know, they have their own initiatives to get 5G to every country in the world, right? And, you know, nations are putting down internet. Other questions? I do. I have a couple. But I want to piggyback on Caroline. Yeah. But, okay. uh, but Caroline, you were telling me that, telling us that uh, in 2012, you had the Bitcoin machine and you missed it. So like around 10 years ago, uh, I had a beautiful listing and uh, a broker came to me and said, hey, I have this techie guy who wants to buy this house with bitcoins. I just cannot imagine how low the, the sellers would have been today if they would have bought, if they would have accepted. And we all were like, what? Like, yeah. and, and, and my managing broker is that like, like we don't know what to do with that it has to be in u.s currency right or like some sort of a currency that can be translated into u.s currency and put in the bank because that's what we are ready for but um going back about also your other point caroline that you just brought up um i think it, it's so interesting because when you're looking at all the tv shows and everything that's happening out there everybody's so afraid that big brother is watching so essentially this entire world's going to have under internet and and wireless and and security and 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 so many people's problem is that like how do i get off grid instead of get on grid so i think i think what technology is expanding definitely so um i'm also looking at bitcoin as part of the human evolution like 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 if you're looking at uh, or evolution as a humankind it took us so long to get to a certain point right but in this last little bit of time technology has changed just so much in so short period of time of our behavior that eventually we all have to go digital no matter what like um, like when you're when you're when you're using your credit card that's that's real money but not real money because and that's why you're spending it like crazy because you don't go through the experiences that you know when you're <laughs> paying for something right so so i think that bitcoin is just the first of many other payments that's going to be out there and it's laying the foundation of something more secure and something more lasting and changing our behavior. So I, I don't see Bitcoin any other way because like you, you pay in gold, you pay in, in, uh, in Lira, you pay, in, you pay in Bitcoin is just an additional form of create, create, uh, you know, covering certain things. But understanding of how secure it is, I think that is the way to go. 
I don't know if it's going to be Bitcoin or whatever is going to be 20 years from now, but a version of that. But my question that I try to lead up in the next last 10 minutes is uh, when you said that, you know, if, if um, you're sending money to Angie and everybody can see it, every, everybody's verifying it. So many times people want to hide their money or want to hide their wealth and stuff like that, right? So how does it going to for people who don't want to, people to know of how much money they have or what kind of a transaction are they are in? How does it look, look for that? Because some people just private. Yeah, so um, your, your right to privacy is something that's being questioned and in question every day today. So I think it's really important for us as citizens to really stay attuned to and pay attention to what's going on in the policy world, right? So we have, you know, um, Nushin that proposed some bill that, you know, will basically kill a lot of that very recently. And so we should all, you know, go check that out and write some um, words of wisdom to tell them to stop doing that. Um, when it comes to Bitcoin fundamentals, uh, the transactions are pseudonymous. And so, you know, yes, it's in an open ledger and you can see every transaction that's happening in the world on Bitcoin because it's fully, you know, decentralized and transparent. But I don't know if Mariana's, you know, attached to this address or that address or that address. That only happens if Mariana tells somebody in the network that this is me. And then that person, because everything is electronic and networked, will be able to, um, and you know, there's bots running around the interweb. So some bot will be like, ooh, Mariana like attached herself to this address. And now we know forever to the end of time that that address was attached to Mariana, right? Exactly. So you can switch it. Like I switch bank account numbers, right? But you can switch it because now you're that, right? Or like, can you transfer the name? So there's different ways to do that. Like you can go um, to a physical place and then give someone some money and they'll give you some Bitcoin and then you like put it, you know, um, into a, um, an address and then never attach that address to any particular piece of personal um, identity. And then it becomes your pseudonymous place. And then if you ever want to spend it, then you have to do some weird things like offload it into something where you can like do transactions. Um, and there's different um, kinds of cryptocurrency that also handle that sort of um, experience. But in our day-to-day -day transactions or like, you know, when I do transactions with Target, you know, they get all of my personal information and then some. Um, it will create a much more secure and scalable way for, you know, when an entity gets hacked like Target did, uh, mm -hmm. my personal information won't be spread all over the interwebs in an uncontrollable manner. Now, like, they they get my wallet address gets is out but it will take a lot of work for anybody to figure out you know it's attached to me and um and then even when it gets to me like they have they have to do a lot of work to be able to figure out how to get it right you, you can't bitcoin as a network has never been uh, hacked for one right like centralized places like target or you know centralized exchanges like a target are the ones that are getting hacked and they're mismanaging it um, so like that's that's the kind of benefit of Bitcoin, but I don't know if that answered your question. Hopefully it did. To some extent, yeah. And now, uh, and my other okay. question is, you know, because we do business advisory so much, and my boyfriend does next level estate planning, and trustee and security and business advisory. And one of the things he's advising people about is that in what entity or how do you keep your money not to be sued, right? To be protected. Mm -hmm. uh, but I don't know if Bitcoin is part of that this discovery you know like like um like if you want to hide your money right then you just create this ledger that nobody knows about right 
and mm-hmm. and you cash in your money, you put it over there, but can it be subpoenaed? You know, like like is this gonna be and that's the whole thing about when we go back to that like is it all criminals or whatever? But the question is if you it can be subpoenaed or something, then I'm pretty sure that they're also interested in like how to take their money in certain ways because money money laundering is a thing. Like you own companies. Like, you know, so it's in a sense of protecting my assets from, because you started how many companies, right? So then you're smart about how much money is attached to my name versus the family versus, you know, that's, that's why. I mean, the, the U S is still like catching up and globally, the world is still catching up on the policy side of, you know, how this is actually legally managed. And so I don't know how that's going to end up, which is why it's, again, really important that we stay really attuned to what's happening on the policy front. And which is why also I spend a significant amount of my time on the policy front is uh, we really need to watch and be careful because, you know, we can have a lot of unintended consequences from the policies that unknowing or maybe knowing policymakers make in terms of like, where does, you know, if you're getting a divorce, can my spouse, you know, like, ask for my Bitcoin? Well, you know, depends on how you manage that. You know, not every person knows about Bitcoin. Not everyone knows if their spouse has Bitcoin or doesn't have Bitcoin. Um, Bitcoin can be stored online or offline. Um, Bitcoin can be stored in an exchange or not in exchange. Bitcoin can be stored in exchange that's in the United States or not in the United States. Um, It can be pulled into, um, you know, put into a hard wallet and then stored in the Bank of Switzerland or the Cayman Islands. Um, there's lots of ways that people will, will it and do get around it. Um, so th- yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but there's lots of ways to manage that. And I mean, really at the end of the day, like you can also set it up where, you know, like you would have to know, like, who are the people that can open up a particular wallet? Um, all those per- people have to know about each other or not know about each other. I mean, how I do like corporate, um, fiduciary spreading out the risk. So like, you know, company has $10 million dollars. You know, we split it into several different wallets. Not all wallets are the same. Um, each wallet has a, you know, multiple people have to come in and put in their key for it to unlock for you to be able to move the funds. Um, usually in a corporate situation, the way I set it up, the three people don't know about each other. So even, you know, Jack was like, ooh, I got a key, but I don't know who the other two people are. He would have to go and figure out who the other two people are. And they may not all be in the company. They may be like board members or investors or advisors, right? And then even when you go to the key part, you know, like there's private key and then there's the seed words. And so you could take the private key and put it on a piece of paper and not have it anywhere on any of your computers, rip it into several pieces and put those pieces of papers in different places, right? Into bank vaults. And not everyone has access to the bank vault. So like sometimes you can have a bank vault where only two, it only opens when three people show up with their identity to enter the bank vault. Um, Same thing with the seed words, you can rip it into different pieces. So there's different ways to manage that to make it extremely difficult for anything to ever happen. Hopefully that answers your question. Yes and no, you know, because like one, okay. like everything you say, I have more questions to ask because, you know, this yeah. is an investment, right? So like I do yeah. investment real estate. Is it like, how do you take, you know, ownership and stuff like that? And one of the things is that like, like, okay, if it's so secretive that some people don't necessarily know about it, how does it transfer down to your estate? And if you do this like secretive stuff, maybe like you need to be disclosing it to your attorney. How do your kids know? You know, like, what are they looking for? And they're burning these little pieces of paper, like, oh, this is just, just like, is, it gets lost. And then it gets lost. How is there, there's no way to discover it. Or, you know, like, like there's yeah. just so many questions to ask her. 
ask about how to handle this? Well, there's lots of different ways, but each person has to make their own decision on how they handle it for their particular selves, entity or family or whatever. Yeah. So um, that's a very personal question. Um, the only thing I can do is give you like all the different ways it could happen and you have to make your own decision and yeah. then handle it. Yeah. So Ari, I think the biggest question that I, I'm kind of waiting for people to ask is um, when and how should we buy? or how do we get involved? Yeah, so um, there's lots of ways. Oh, I have a call right now. Let's see. So there are lots of ways to get into Bitcoin. One of the ways that I really recommend is Swan Bitcoin. So because they have the uh, lowest fees, let me grab my link as I try and talk. Lowest fees, it's really, really easy to use. You don't have to like learn how to use like all these you know, technology things that can um, really overwhelm some people. And uh, you can do dollar cost averaging, which is what we uh, really recommend. You know, like I know a lot of people are telling me like, hey, Harry, when should I buy? I'm like, I can't tell you when to buy. <laughs> um, here, let me put in the uh, code for Swan Bitcoin. This gives you $10 of free Bitcoin for signing up. Oops, everyone. And along with that, I think, Ari, you should also give everyone the tax um, tip to make sure that you can keep a record of your transactions for tax record keeping purposes. Yeah, so if you use an app, like they, they, will, they have the transactions all there for you. So you just literally have to copy paste uh, when you do taxes. Um, and you'll, you pay taxes when you usually sell. So it's sort of like a capital gains you would pay on like a stock. Um, but if you're managing it by yourself, then every time you buy at a price, you wanna have a different wallet address for that particular time and price. Otherwise, the IRS will like blanket bulk um, and decide what price uh, you're dealing with in terms of buy and sell, and they decide for you. So my, my recommendation is if you're not handling it through something like a Swan Bitcoin or a Coinbase or something like that, then you want to make sure that you have a different specific wallet address. You're, you're literally doing this manually in like a Google spreadsheet. You're tracking the date, the amount, the price of, um, you know, at, at that date and then just go from there. Yeah, uh, that's what I've been doing decide, right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then you gotta decide, like, I'm gonna sell at this price from this wallet versus that price at that wallet, and you can, you, it gives you the ultimate control, or else it's all big batch bulked. Right. I've purchased from a couple different places, Coinbase, Pro, and Cash App, but I know they have different prices because they're different exchanges or whatnot. So I've been just manually keeping record just for my own sanity. I don't have much, but um, I think that's just helpful for your own tax purposes. Yeah, and I like Cash App too. Cash App also has dollar cost averaging, which means you say like, I'm gonna buy $100 a week and don't try and time the market because the market will do what it can and then, you know, if you happen to be at the right place at the right time and it's the price is lower than you want, then you know you might put in $200 that week. But trying to time the market, I know I have like, I think 10 people at least like pinged me yesterday saying like, hey, will there be a dip and how much of a dip? I'm gonna wait for the dip. I'm like, yeah, I don't, there's, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if the dip is gonna be from 40K or 60K or like if the dip's gonna go down to 20K or like, you know, 35K, I don't know. Like no one does. And so there's so many different factors that affect it and you know, yeah, so dollar cost averaging is really the way to go. Can we reach out if we think of other questions? Yeah, I can give you my email address, yellowumbrellaventures.com, or you can tweet at me. There's a thing called crypto Twitter. 
And so if you want to learn more about that space, like literally follow a bunch of folks. Um, there's some really good ones to follow, or you can just ping me and I'll tell you which ones to follow. Crypto Twitter is really a good way to figure out like what's happening in this crypto universe, especially around Bitcoin. Um, you just kind of have to listen to it and read it with a critical eye. Um, and then there's lots of different resources out there. Um, I would always just start with like the the super like really well-known tried and true um, resources. Um, there's a series of essays by Parker Lewis um, at the Nakamoto Institute. Um, there's like Bitcoin.org, um, a Swan Bitcoin that I just put in the link. I really like them because they have really, really great educational resources along with it. Um, and they also have a really, really great product that's good for everybody. Um, typically, like the people that are buying $10 are paying the highest prices in terms of the thread. And so that's what really makes me mad. Coinbase is really, really expensive to buy Bitcoin. I would avoid it unless you're using Coinbase Pro, then, you know, the fees are much better. Uh, are you into other cryptocurrencies like Ether, Stellar, etc.? Um, I personally am only Bitcoin. Um, I'm, I'm pretty conservative. Uh, what are the questions? I think Mary, I have a question. Um, is there any way, I'm sure um, there might be helpful resources out there, or books that you just mentioned, post on the A Woman Invest Network. Um, so maybe whether we could purchase or just review, um, you probably have more resources than us uh, when you have a chance yeah. to get a post on that. On books or just general resources? Mm -hmm. Yeah, about okay. um, Bitcoin. Um, and then another thing is um, when when we see Bitcoin drop or, you know, um, increase, when's the best time to sell, to, to liquidate <laughs> it? Is there even a such thing? Because, um, uh, like, what should we be looking for? So that, that's your own personal choice. Um, like I give the example, I bought Apple stock at $40 and it doubled, went to 80 and I sold it all. And I was like, well, you know, a double is like pretty good return. Like, ta-da, and off I went. And then I like, you know, we used it to buy my condo and you know, that didn't do as well as Bitcoin, obviously, <laughs> or Apple stock. <laughs> so it's your own personal decision. If you're talking to like a hardcore Bitcoin or people that really believe in the space, like for me, I'm going to say like, never sell. Why would you ever sell? Uh, no, <laughs> hell no, hell freaking no way. Um, so yeah, it, it really depends on your own personal like um, goals and aspirations and what's right for your family. You know, some people will say like, well, I bought a bunch at 3000 or 20,000 or whatever, and I'm going to sell when it's at 50,000 for a little bit to you know, just get some cash and, you know, go pay down my house or whatever. And then another person will say like, I'm going to wait till it's a hundred K. Um, everyone has their own strategy around it. So that's all I can say. Okay. Thank you. It's very nice meeting everybody. I'm going to log off. Thank you. Thank okay. you. Ari. <laughs> I have to run to you, but you know, um, so Caroline, did you raise your hand or do you still have your hand raised? If you can take you one more. Yeah, I'll take one more. And then I have to run okay. to you. <laughs> okay. I mean, my other question kind of was already answered. Like for those that have kind of missed out on the early stages of bitcoin like what other cryptocurrency is kind of like bubbling right now um if you don't have an answer to that you know we'll all do our research but there what I'll, the second question is and i saw i think you posted it on the facebook page too the other currency that they um said was more of a security and so it wasn't a cryptocurrency like what's the chances of that happening all the time that someone gets excited about a crypto and then they say, oh, it's actually in a different category. And, and it's and what does that mean, a cryptocurrency versus a security? Well, I mean, all of those rules are like really being defined. And, um, you know, every cryptocurrency has a lot of risks. 
So um, Bitcoin is the only one that's really, really decentralized. Everything else is generally like centralized. Ethereum, I guess you could, you could argue that it's decentralized too. Um, but most other cryptocurrencies like, um, um, what was it, Ripple? Um, I can't remember the ticker right now. XRP was recently like SmackDown. It's super centralized. Like the company that issued it, you know, kept a bunch of the supply for themselves, you know, there's a lot of issues in how they talk about it. You know, if you want to hold someone accountable, there really is someone to hold accountable and that's the centralized part of it. And so um, just really, really be careful. Um, you know, having been in ICO world myself and I created a token out of thin air, which means I created money out of thin air. It's really, really easy to create money out of thin air, especially with DeFi products today. So you can like literally copy a bunch of code and like put in a couple of symbols and boom, you know, you created money out of thin air. And if it trades just because, you know, people feel it, like it, you know, like Dogecoin, you know, the thing that looks like a little dog, the, the dog icon, created out of thin air, right? And it now has value. So just be really careful, you know, the way you do, would sell anything. Like I'm a, I'm a person that sells something. I'm going to put like the best people on it. I'm going to make sure the resume looks really good. I'm going to talk about it in a certain way. I'm going to say it's supported by whatever different entities. I'm going to try and give it as much credibility as possible. I'm going to write white papers that look really, really legit and really, really sound just look at everything with a super critical eye. And that's why I think like, don't just look on the internet, like talk to actual real human beings face-to-face uh, -face and get um, perspectives. Um, like that's how we're gonna really fight misinformation and disinformation in general. And then, you know, like if they say like, you know, um, Bill Gates is their advisor on their particular crypto project, like, you know, go look it up, you know, like, is Bill Gates likely to be the advisor for this particular crypto project? Is it really like legit? Like do your homework and don't just take things at face value. Um, and, you know, like, I, I can't really give you advice on like um, cryptocurrencies to buy or not buy. Um, you know, I have ones that I am fans of or not fans of, but I'm not in that position to really like, sh you know, talk about that. Um, I mean, the other big one that people are really excited about is Ethereum. But again, Ethereum is only like five, six years old. Um, and so as a technology, Bitcoin, you know, 10, 12 years old versus five, six years old, it's, it's a far more mature. Things have been tried. You know, it's forked a lot. It's had its wars. It's, you know, gone. And so today it's like pretty secure, which is why you have big guys like Stan, Duncan Miller and institutions putting in their funds. Ether has still a way to go. So you could say like Ether is like, uh, you know, where Bitcoin was five years ago. So there's opportunity there, but there's also a lot of risk, right? So don't play with money that you can't afford to lose. This is kind of a lesson too. Okay, well then um, email me if you have any questions. I do this every week, every Friday at 12. So feel free to hop on, ask questions, email me. I do my very best to like share as much as I can. I'm on Twitter, I answer questions via Twitter. So I'm here to help. But I really, really believe like the more we can do to like educate ourselves, um, educate each other, share information, the better we all are and uh, ask a lot of questions and stay, stay in the know, especially when it comes to your own money, your finances and, you know, the policymakers, because we all live in under different jurisdictions, really get to know like who's making the laws because now they're really going to affect us, especially when we go into this digital space. Cool. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, it was great to see you. I'm so excited that you're you're interested and the opportunity is really great. I mean, just this world is really great. The culture is really, really good. It's, um, it's all about openness and transparency and togetherness and community. I mean, that's what I really love about the space. So it's not, you know, it's, it's actually a really good space. All right, all right, 
All right. Welcome to Windshield Time, y'all. Thanks for tuning in. This podcast is a non-technical, fun, informative way to learn about money, Bitcoin, blockchains, crypto, and digital assets for busy parents and working folks who are curious about these new technologies. Day, Ari, and their guests talk about these evolutionary systems of money and what they do, y'all. Because what part of your life does money not touch? This podcast is not financial advice, and your reactions are your total and complete responsibility, y'all. Now, thanks again, and enjoy the show. What are you doing? Stuck inside.